0: The scripture this morning is from Numbers chapter 12 and can be found on your pew Bible in page 104. Um, While they were at Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. They said, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't the Lord spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Now Moses was a more humble man than any other person on earth. So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam and said, Go to the tabernacle, all three of you. And the three of them went out. Then the Lord descended in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam he called, and they stepped forward. And the Lord said to them, Now listen to me. Even with prophets, I, the Lord, communicate by visions and dreams. But that is not how I communicate with my servant Moses. He is entrusted with my entire house. I speak to him face to face, directly, and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. Should you not be afraid to criticize him? The Lord was furious with them, and he departed. As the cloud moved from above the tabernacle, Miriam suddenly became white as snow with leprosy. When Aaron saw what had happened, he he cried out to Moses, O my Lord, please do not punish us for the sin we have foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn baby, already decayed at birth. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Heal her, O God, I beg you. And the Lord said to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, wouldn't she have been defiled for seven days? Banish her from camp for seven days, and after that she may return. So Miriam was excluded from the camp for seven days, and the people waited until she was brought back before they traveled again. Then they left Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. This is the word of the Lord. I
1: want to encourage you to look at a couple of things uh, in your bulletin. Uh, You might notice on the cover page, uh, the title of the sermon is Monster in the Desert. The Israelites are in the desert at this time. Uh, I was supposed to preach this sermon when I was stricken with uh, the flu. And so (laughs) I'd noticed this morning Jacinta had take two. Isn't there like a take two on there? So I've got a take two. Very cute, Jacinta. Okay. Uh, There's also an outline in the middle there. We don't always have an outline, but it just kind of fits very well For this particular sermon, so if you want to follow along with that, you can. That's totally up to you, Uh, but we thought if that could be helpful for you, that would be great. How many of y'all grew up with a brother or sister and you had some sibling rivalry going on? Raise your hand. Okay. I don't know what it was for you. A lot of you know I do this. Some of you might not have seen it, but I learned how to juggle from my sister after her freshman year at Vanderbilt. She met a guy named Carter, and he just taught her how to do all these cool tricks And uh, see the orange one there doing that, isn't that cool, just jumping over there? Okay, you can just do it this way and everything. Um, And the thing was, (laughs) I'm convinced she always made sure that she was always a couple of moves ahead of me. Does that make sense? And somebody said, well, could you do it around the back? No, not yet. Well, Martha can. Yeah, I know. Can you do it off your knee? I'm getting there. Well, Martha already can, which by the way, let me see. Oh, wait, 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 let me try it again. There we go, okay. Uh, well, can you do the one, two thing? Yes, I can do, well, can you do four? Well, not yet, I'm good there. Martha can, got really old. The thing is, now, today, th- this is actually incredibly relaxing to do, uh, but back then, it was a source of uh, strife and anxiety because I, I was wanting to get better than her, never did. I can barely do four. She got to five and could keep those in the air for a while, and I was like, I give up, but uh, Uh, What should have been a source of joy and recreation wound up being something for a long time being frustrating to do. Can somebody hold on to these? Could you, is it Josh, right? Just met you. If I toss it to you, could you? You're so good. You play baseball, don't you? Okay. Oh, sorry. Bad Bad throw on my part. Okay. All right. Again, how many of y'all have had the sibling rivalry thing? Raise your hand. Okay. So you know what I'm talking about here. Uh, It's kind of turned, Martha was older than me, I was the kid brother, and she was the one who I was always envious for. It's flipped in this story from Numbers 12 with uh, Miriam, who's the protective older sister of Moses. It was Miriam who was clever enough to tell Pharaoh's daughter, you know what, you should have... uh, 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 Moses' mother nurse him and she, she's able to keep Moses and the mother together there and she's always watching out for him. But then she watches Moses grow up in the lap of luxury in the household of Pharaoh. And at some point in time, and we don't know when the monster of envy entered her heart, was it early on or was it while they were here in the desert? Well, she definitely had it in the desert. We don't know how early it started, but she definitely had it At that point, she sees her kid brother rise to greatness, and what's interesting is both Miriam and Aaron, her brother, Moses' brother, held these high positions among the children of Israel. Uh, Miriam was the high prophetess of all the women, overseeing all the women in their spiritual life. Aaron was the high priest of everyone, high priest of Israel, the highest um, uh, spiritual office, so both highly regarded having a lot of influence. But the elevated position of Moses, they didn't like. And they became envious of that. And they wanted to be equal with Moses, and they wanted to have a reason to get back at Moses, but they couldn't find anything about Moses to criticize. So what did they do? They criticized his wife. Not very kind at all. But let's look at verse 1 here. Numbers chapter 12. While they were at Hazelroth. Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. This is probably Zipporah who appears in Scripture. She had Cushite um, um, lineage, and so it's probably her that we're talking about here. And they were obviously, this this was a smokescreen. They were criticizing him for marrying a Cushite woman. This is a smokescreen because what's really going on is they're envious, and you see this in verse 2. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? And then the ominous, but the Lord heard them. Dun, 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 dun. It's going to get bad. Well, he heard them. Well, these two folks, Aaron and Miriam, they're not unique in the struggle with envy. You've struggled with envy, no doubt. Somebody has said if envy were an illness, the world would be a hospital. But let me ask you, who comes to mind if I say the word envy? That's not fun, but who who bubbles to the surface of your mind or your heart when I mention envy? Someone you've been envious of before, for whatever reason, something they had or could do, something that had happened to them. And the thing is, we live in a society where we are conditioned to compare ourselves with others, whether it's work or salary or wardrobe, athletics or talents even spiritual life that's a big issue at sanford sanford's a great place but sanford students are always am i being spiritual enough and we start comparing ourselves to one another there's also the fomo issue which is what uh, uh fear of what missing out just letting you know i'm hip and down with it you know what i'm saying anyway fear of missing out fomo you know oh, i didn't get in that instagram photo dadgummit now i'm envious because okay uh, You have teachers and coaches and standardized tests and beauty contests and all these other things, performance evaluations. It's an inevitable comparison that can breed inevitable dissatisfaction. You know, you've got to look better, do better, learn more, be more. Uh, Advertising really is one of the great catalysts of this, isn't it? I mean, every day in America alone, advertising spends $6 billion. That's just mind-blowing to me, $6 billion and so we're conditioned to, to want to have more, to be more and we wind up comparing ourselves to other people it's almost inevitable ministers are not immune to envy the sin of envy a few years ago, uh, Millard Fuller who was the founder of Habitat for Humanity was speaking to some ministers at a Pittsburgh Theological Seminary And early on, these ministers were talking in kind of a pious way about how, oh, greed and excessive living, you know, and selfishness is just getting in the way of our doing more and more creative ministry on behalf of the kingdom. And Millard thought they're being a little bit pious there, and so he asked this seemingly innocent question. He said, well, is it possible for a person to build a house so large that it's sinful in the eyes of God? Raise your hand if you think so. Well, they all raised their hands, feeling proud of themselves. And he said, okay, then can you tell me at exactly what size, the precise square footage, a certain house becomes too sinful to occupy? And there was silence. <laughs> Finally, a quiet voice in the back said, when it's bigger than mine. <laughs> I thought it was very honest. But God is so serious about envy, let's think about it. He included that in the top ten, right? Exodus twenty seventeen. what does he say? You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife. Male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Now, we're not going around being envious and, and coveting you know, oxen and donkeys and, and male-female servants, but we can definitely be uh, coveting and envying somebody's car or house or stock portfolio or job or, or achievements or even sometimes someone's spiritual gifts. We tend to do that. Again, Scripture talks about how dangerous envy and jealousy are. In fact, what I read uh, right at the beginning of the service, let's go to Proverbs 27.4. It says, anger is cruel and wrath is like a flood, but jealousy is even more dangerous. And that can be translated envy or jealousy. Now, why is it even more dangerous? Well, anger and and wrath or fury, sometimes it's translated, those can be like a flash in the pan. They're there and then they're gone, right? Uh, But envy can fester. It can linger. Sometimes we even enjoy feeding it if we're really honest we enjoy feeding it. So it's a sin that God would not have us treat casually. And this passage makes it very clear in numbers 12 God gets really angry about envy. You know, verse 2 like I said earlier God heard the grumblings of Miriam and Aaron and he summons them immediately. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. This is like da-na-na-na. So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, and said, Go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. Whoa. So the three of them went to the tabernacle. Then the Lord descended in the pillar of the cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, he called, and they stepped forward. Very humbly at that point. Well, let's shift this here, and you might want to follow along in the outline there. What is it about envy that causes so much anger with God? Why does he get so angry about it? First of all, envy devalues my self-worth. It denies the uniqueness of God when he created that uniqueness of you. You're devaluing yourself and in the process you're devaluing the God who created you. We forget that he is the potter and we are the what? The clay, right? Isaiah twenty nine sixteen puts it this way. How foolish can you be? He is the potter and he is certainly greater than you, the clay, should the created thing say of the one who made it, he didn't make me because you're ashamed, you know? Does a jar ever say the potter who made me is stupid? What he's saying is you can never say that. He is the potter. He has created you with these certain gifts, these certain attributes, these certain characteristics, and it's beautiful and it's unique, and you're the only one that he created in this manner. Don't devalue that by envying someone else. What he did with you is uniquely beautiful enough. Secondly, envy devalues the gifts and roles of others. Now, this is where God speaks up for Moses quite strongly. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. First of all, verse 6, "...and the Lord said to them, Now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams." But not with my servant Moses, of all my house, he is the one I trust. Now now with house there, it's interesting, the little play on words that God is using there. In all my house, really their house of God back then was the tabernacle. Well, Aaron uh, could administer sacrifices in the house of God there. Uh, The prophetess Miriam could speak, you know, in a sense, God's word there in the house of God. But what he's saying is, Moses is head of all my house, the entire house of Israel, all the people of Israel, outside of this tabernacle. He says, he is the one I trust above all. He says, I speak to him face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? He's obviously upset about that. Why? Because they are devaluing the gifts that he has. It's not as if God loved Moses more than Miriam and Aaron. He just distributed different gifts to each one, unique gifts to each one. He chose each person to have a different role. And that's what we need to do as we do ministry in the kingdom is celebrate what each person with their unique gifts brings to the table instead of always getting jealous and and comparing ourselves one to the other. Thirdly, envy distances us from God. Look at verse 9. God gets kind of ticked off and leaves. The Lord is very angry with them, and he departed, and he left them. Again, there's no respect here for his sovereignty and his creative abilities. And, and obviously, clearly, they're the ones who move. You've heard it said, if you feel distant from God, guess who moved? And it's more you. Fourthly, and I need to steep ourselves here in just for just a moment, envy corrupts community. A little bit of background. The envy of Miriam and Aaron... You know, it's already starting to drive a wedge between themselves and and Moses, not not on Moses' part, but because of them. But it also winds up having a damaging effect on the entire community. Envy can do that. Look at verse 10, the first part. As the cloud moved from above the tabernacle, there stood Miriam, her skin as white as snow from a skin disease. Now, some translations say that she had leprosy. We're not sure about that, probably not. The, the, the word there in the Hebrew is for multiple words that can mean a, a variety of skin conditions. Likely, what most scholars say, it was probably a skin condition that could become chronic leprosy. And that makes a lot of sense to me because I really have this sense that what God is doing in a figurative way is saying, Miriam, you have something very bad that, become, that could become a lot worse. I think the physical ailment of this skin disease is really a way of him saying, your envy is something bad enough, and it could become worse. And it does. It winds up affecting the whole community. But first of all, let's look how Aaron begs for her to be spared. Look at verses 10 through 12. When Aaron saw what had happened to her, he cried out to Moses. Now, now he loves Moses. Oh, my master, <laughs> please don't punish us for this sin we have so foolishly committed. Don't let her be like a stillborn baby, already decayed. At birth. And even Moses, whom they had obviously insulted and insulted his wife, he winds up interceding on her behalf. Verse 13. It says, so Moses cried out to the Lord, O oh God, I beg you, please heal her. No doubt Miriam and Aaron are glad at this point that he that Moses is so in good with God and has such a pivotal role. Well, now again. Let me stress again, it corrupts the entire community. Miriam had to be separated from the rest of the community. In fact, let's go on and go to verse 14 through 16. It says, But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had done nothing more than spit in her face, wouldn't she be defiled for seven days? Now that sounds strange, and this is God speaking. What God is saying is this sin of envy is so serious, you could liken it to something her doing something so detestable, something so disgusting that the father might be tempted to spit in her face. He's speaking figuratively there, but he's saying it's that bad. It's that bad. Okay, so keep her outside the camp for seven days, and after that she may be accepted back. Now, that was the normal thing. If you had some kind of skin disease, you had to leave the camp for seven days, and in fact, once uh, you left uh, being uh, kind of banished, if you will, out there, you come back into the camp, but you still have to stay in your own tent for seven days, and then you can be restored to the people. So it says, so Miriam was kept outside the camp for seven days, and the people waited until she was brought back before they traveled again, but then she had to stay in the tent for seven more days, two weeks. Now, they had planned to get up the very next day, and head to the wilderness of Paran. But it says they left Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran, but that was two weeks late. In other words, what she had done with the envy impacted the whole community. It delayed their departure. It kept the whole kingdom, if you will, of Israel delayed. And envy can have that effect. It can wind up having an terrible adverse effect on a whole group of people. It's divisive, which is why James says in James 3.16, for wherever there is envy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder, sometimes translated division, and evil of every kind. It impacts the entirety of the community. So let's get real practical here. What can we do to counter the envy? First of all, call envy what it is and admit your feelings. You know, Sometimes we're so embarrassed and ashamed of our feelings of envy Really what we need to do is pull them out and pull them in the light and, and, and look at it. Analyze it. Why am I so envious? Sometimes we need to confess it, maybe to someone else, obviously to God, or maybe even the person who is the subject of envy and say, I'm really envious and I'm struggling with this and I need your help. You know, once we own up to envy, that can empower us to use it toward the good instead of be used by it. So admit it. Secondly, stop comparing Easier said than done, I know, but train yourself to keep from viewing people as a hierarchy. I think that's one of the real tragedies of envy because you wind up seeing people not, not as equal, not on an equal plane the way the beautiful Lord's Supper table or the way the cross winds up equally, you know, making everything equal among everybody. But instead, you have this hierarchy of people, almost a caste system of people, based on the kind of envy or want you have from this person or that. And it can even be taken a step further where you wind up looking down on these people who are further down. Stop comparing. You know, remember that different means different, it doesn't mean better or worse. And quite often you'll find somebody whom you perceive as being worthy of envy, so to speak. They really don't have the great kind of life you think. They might be struggling with things about which you never had any idea. If you get to know them, you'll realize they have great days and then not so great days. They are always struggling with something just like you are. You can always find someone who has more than you and someone who has less than you. Someone more uh, successful than you, someone less successful than you. You know, Someone who has had great things happen and then people who have had tragic things happen. But again, that applies to everyone along the way. I love the passage just before Numbers chapter 12. Moses gets really upset with Joshua because of something Joshua says. Joshua sees that God has distributed some of Moses' leadership abilities among the people, and they're starting to exercise them. It's like that's a threat to Moses' power and authority. Look at this. Go to uh, Numbers eleven twenty eight. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Stop them, Moses. They're usurping your power. You know, they're making you look bad. And I love Moses' wonderful response in verse 29. He said, Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses realizes that the greatest achievements in life are not individual accomplishments. They're the ones where people band together and do it for the common good, especially in the kingdom of God. That's the way to do it. Celebrate the gifts that others bring to the table. And finally, Find your contentment and significance in God. I like the way Dr. Joel Stoll puts it. He says, The focus of our contentment needs to be our confidence that Christ is all he says he is and that he is aware of and will supply all our needs. If we have him, we have enough. And I can't help but think of the wonderful passage. I know you're familiar with it, Philippians 4, mainly Philippians 4.13, but let's see how it leads up. Because Paul basically says, I know what it's like some days to have not much, I know what it's like to have a whole lot, but I'm content either way. What does he say? I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, I need to talk about somebody here uh, in the church, and I asked him if I could talk about him behind his back, and he gave me permission. A couple weeks ago, how many of y'all know Brian Bonds? You might not, Brian, great guy. Uh, he's battling ALS, and uh, how old is Brian? Anybody know about, he'll love me for asking that, but you might know, 40s, 50s, something like that, I don't know. Anyway, wonderful, wonderful guy. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was on this list. Some of you do this. I know Tracy Johnson and some other people are great about this, but uh, I went over on a Monday to feed Brian. He can no longer use his arms, and he's in a motorized chair that can kind of scoot around. And so I went over there, and, and you, you cut up hot pockets and pop them in his mouth and everything. It was kind of fun. and uh, But it was just amazing. I got there at noon. I left at 3.30. And the reason being... He's just so great to talk to. Those of you who know him, he's so full of life, he's so hilarious, and he is so upbeat. You cannot help. you know. I mean, he's the same as he was before ALS started, started working on it. I mean, you, you leave his presence just uplifted. You really, really do. Uh, I got home after being with him for all that time, and Deanna was shocked because she had gotten home from school. She said, I thought you were there at noon. I, I said, yeah. She said, it's 3.30 now. I said, yeah, I know. I, I just left. And uh, she said, what was it like? And I said, it was almost like a mystical experience. And and she said, what do you mean? And the weird thing, y'all, is that I'm sitting there with Brian all this time, and I just basically, I I, I totally forgot that he is in a, a, a motorized chair now and that he can't lift his arms, you know, and that he has to be fed. And I promise you, almost every minute I was there, it was like those realities melted away and and the true reality was that he's just Brian and, and and it's as if he could just get up and walk out of the chair now no he couldn't but it was the way he was talking and the way he was celebrating you know our friendship and our exchange and give and take and it was just amazing to me and and I sat there th- you know and I would catch myself I was like oh yeah he's in this chair and he can't move his arms you know they're down here And I was just blown away. And what was weird is I found myself envious because of his incredible disposition, which quickly changed into being incredibly inspired. He's just that kind of guy. And and I'll never forget that. It was like this mystical thing where the chair melted away, and I couldn't tell that the arms were just hanging there. just kind of blew my mind. Now, this is really weird in a God thing, too. Matea, for reasons I still don't understand emailed me on Thursday a video with Brian in it. She just said, I just thought you'd want to see this. She had no idea I was going to talk about Brian today. And I had asked Brian, hey, is this cool with you? Uh, and um, how many of y'all have been to vacation Bible school? Some of you kids you have been to v- VBS. How many, oh, Ethan, you remember this. Y'all ever done the Lawnmower song? Yeah, Lawnmower song. Uh, well, Matea just happened to send me this, and I'm going to show this because It's not like Brian could do it now exactly in this way, but this is how I think of Brian even now, though he's in this chair and can't move his arms. So let's watch uh, Brian. He's right in the middle in the brown shirt. such a good sport. <laughs> I picture him that way even now. That's the best way I can put it. He knows what it's like. In fact, I asked him, can I share about you? And he said, yes, you know why? And he said this, and I wrote this down verbatim. He said, there's got to be a better way of handling adversity. And he said, as I tell kids now on a regular basis, what or who are you going to fall back on? That, that's from Brian. Who or what are you going to fall back on? You know, what is the secret of your contentment? Whether you have plenty, whether you don't have much, whether you're facing tremendous adversity or whether things are comfortable at the moment, who are you falling back on? That's his message. Which leads me to a final passage of Scripture that I just love. It's, it's Psalm 73, verses 23 through 28. This is someone who's struggling with envying other people. And then he goes to the temple of God, it says, and this is what he discovers, and it really you know, echoes what Brian is telling us and what Philippians 4.13 is telling us from Psalm 73. This guy says, I, I, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. You know, let me just stop there. Go back for a second. That's good enough. Can you go back to 23? Look at that. Let me read it again. Yet I am always with you, You hold me by my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Plenty good right there. Okay, keep going though. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing else I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And then my favorite part, those who are far from you will perish, you will will destroy all who are unfaithful to you, but as for me, it is good to be near God. For what reason should we envy when we have that? And it's good to be near this table now, which points us to the greatest gift that Christ gave us with the breaking of his body, with the shedding of his blood, and we now have the opportunity to celebrate that now. And we'll do it like we do in the second service where people closer to the front will exit out their pew toward the wall, come and receive the elements, and then go back and sit down and spend some time in prayer and meditation. And then when you feel led, go on and take the bread and the drink. This group here will come down this way. Go back to where you're seated. These folks over here, the wall, come around and then go back to where you're seated. And take a few moments to pray, to meditate on these great gifts and how good it is to be near him. Let's pray for just a moment before we enter into the Lord's Supper. Lord, forgive us when we spend our wheels comparing ourselves to one another, thinking ill of one another because of something someone has or can do something they know that we don't know. Uh, Help us to realize that this meal is one of the great equalizers, reminding us that we are all equally wounded people, equally wounded sinners in need of your grace. Remind us that the cross is an even greater equalizer, reminding us of your Son who broke his body and shed his blood for us. With that in mind, as we come forward, may we do it with thankful hearts celebrating you, glorifying you for this greatest of gifts that you distributed equally as an offering, an equal offering to everyone. And thank you that you gave us the chance to receive it. We pray these things in your name. Amen.